Welcome to Prima's 2023 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Senior Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Joe Blasi, Jeb McPherson, and Eddie Mitchell will discuss, do we have to? Why FEMA should be part of your risk management. Joe is the Senior Executive Vice President at McGriff Insurance Services. Jeb is the Public Entity Practice Leader at Disaster Recovery Services. And Eddie is the Director of Risk Management at the University of California, San Diego. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Edie, Jeb, Joe, thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. So for starters, why should FEMA be a part of your risk management strategy? That's a really good question. Thank you. Well, one of the key things that we want to look at is optimizing our recovery in any one of these kinds of incidents. Many times our insurance policies do not apply to the perils and disasters that we've experienced. However, FEMA can be a critical part coming in to fill in that gap, so to speak, that we have in the insurance policies. And that's one of the reasons why it was designed and one of the reasons why we can take advantage of it. I think a secondary reason that we've found is that in our particular instance, in a state audit, we're a public agency in a state audit, they advise that we must pursue FEMA recovery before going into other sources of public assistance. So, Overall, we just want to strategize and ensure that we're taking advantage, full advantage of the different recovery options that are available to us. So FEMA plays a critical role for us. Can you please describe the relationship between FEMA PA and insurance and how these two funding sources can be utilized in tandem? Absolutely. So there's tremendous interplay for public entities after declared disasters to leverage FEMA really on uninsured losses, okay? Just like Edie described in responding to that first question. Examples of uninsured losses include deductibles. You know, we're in Southwest Florida now helping FEMA applicants after Hurricane Ian, and their name storm deductible structures are penalizing because, you know, they're based on a 5% total insured value deductible. And so outside of a few building locations, most of the losses are uninsured just because the deductibles are so great. Other forms of uninsured examples include limit losses, okay, like flood sublimits or sometimes insurance policies have debris sublimits. You know, we've got another Ian client that we're assisting who has $5 million of commercial flood insurance, and that's it. That's all they could afford but they suffered approximately $30 million in total flood losses. And so that particular public entity client is really relying on FEMA to cover those uninsured limit losses. Policy exclusions can go to FEMA as well. You know, sometimes there's asbestos exclusions in the insurance policy, and, you know, FEMA's there to assist in those uninsured exposures too. And just a quick point. FEMA is a means of last resort, and so they expect you to pursue all available sources of insurance before providing public assistance. How can FEMA PA funding help with overall recovery efforts? I'll start on this one. Great question and would welcome feedback from others, but there is a ton of strategy that factors into 
maximizing total recoveries to involve what we refer to as combo claims, which really just means insurance and FEMA, and sometimes other grants or state funding that may be available after catastrophic events, too. And we talked about, you know, the uninsured exposures that FEMA addresses earlier, but interesting enough, like we've used FEMA before to assist in scope agreement on an insurance claim, right? So any property, any large property insurance claim, you know, you're going to face challenges when it comes to scope alignment with the adjustment team. And, you know, we've used FEMA, who's approved certain scopes of work, to share that with the adjuster who, you know, understands FEMA to be a challenge and problematic. And so when when we had FEMA concurrence on that scope, it didn't take long for the insurance adjustment team to come around and agree to that scope of work, which, you know, is helpful when you're trying to juggle a complex property claim. There's also some bigger ticket benefits where FEMA can help. You know, one common strategy is on replacement buildings. You know, most insurance policies typically cover the lesser of repair versus replace. But FEMA has a very finite 50% rule, all right, where if the estimated repair costs are greater than 50% of the estimated replacement costs, then in FEMA's mind, you're entitled to a replacement building. So we helped a school district after Hurricane Harvey where insurance agreed to a $6 million repair scope. The building was not destroyed. It could, in fact, be repaired. But the estimated replacement cost for this facility was $10 million. And so FEMA covered the replacement cost over the $6 million repair. So this school district essentially got a brand-new building where insurance, kicked in $6 million through the insurance policy, and FEMA covered the $4 million replacement cost above that repair value, and that would not have been achieved without FEMA's help. And probably the other greatest benefit of how FEMA can help is with hazard mitigation. Okay, it's a wonderful program that's available through FEMA Public Assistance. You know, FEMA deals with losses all over the country, and they want public entities to build back smarter with resiliency So FEMA doesn't have to show up again in the near future. And those improvements aren't covered by insurance, but hazard mitigation to protect, you know, these facilities and high-risk areas uh, is a wonderful opportunity available through FEMA. Jeb, you might also mention the FEMA benefits associated with engaging an outside firm to assist in the preparation and understanding of the FEMA rules and guidelines. Yeah, that's a great point, Joe. And, you know, FEMA does allow for management cost to help public entities sort of navigate through their process. You know, they realize that they can sort of be a burden on the applicants or the public entities who are already stretched in, you know, doing work you know, of a variety of different roles. And so it's just very difficult to dedicate resources that the FEMA process requires. And so FEMA does allow for what's called a management cost project, where they consider 5% of all net obligated projects to create this management cost allowance that covers the cost of using consultants or 
using, you know, well-qualified internal resources that work within the applicant's employment first workforce that, you know, are, have to be dedicated to the FEMA process in order for it to go well. That's just an added benefit. You know, FEMA's going to cover the cost of administering their own program, which is great. We've definitely appreciated support from consulting members and experts as well. So we've appreciated the insight. Unless you're working with FEMA day-to-day and inside every year, it's hard, I think, to for the average risk management department to keep up on the demands and tracking all the requirements that go into that FEMA process. That's a great point, Edie. And FEMA has made so many changes just over the last five years. There's been more policy changes in that short time frame since the inception of FEMA's program. And so, you know, if you're not in it day to day, it's difficult to keep up with those policy changes. It's similar to, you know, doing tax returns, right? You can figure it out on your own or you can rely on an outsider that understands the true nuances of the Internal Revenue Service Code to kind of protect your interests through that process. Now, what are some common pitfalls to avoid when submitting projects to FEMA? So, Edie, I've got a couple, but would welcome sure, hearing the perspective first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I think number one that pops into everybody's mind is the documentation. We're all familiar, I think, in the industry with different claims processes. But when we're looking at FEMA, the scope and breadth of required documentation is, in my mind, unparalleled when compared to an insurance claim. You're looking at also policy or record retention for those documents. Uh, So everything that you've compiled to submit to FEMA has to be retained for several years, even following the closure of that claim. And I think one of the big surprises, too, is how long it takes for a FEMA claim to actually close and the requirement of a final audit to inspect that documentation. So I think that number one in my mind becomes the, you know, really a cost-benefit analysis when you're looking at the cost and support that goes into your FEMA claim and is it worth it over time if you have that option, whether or not to put in that claim, is it worth it over time to actually pursue that claim? Many times we don't have an you know, option to that. But one of the big pitfalls is documentation. Who has what? Where is it? How long is it going to be retained? How are you going to store it? Who has access to it? All of those items have to be laid out ahead of time. And uh, that's one of the bit challenges that um, I've seen face with many FEMA claims. Edie, those are great points and completely agree. You know, you better put your seatbelt on with FEMA because it's a long road timing-wise. You know, complex insurance claims, uh, Joe can attest to this, are settled in one to two years. But the FEMA claims process can take sometimes five years or even up to 10 years, depending on the you know, how big of a disaster it was. And so when you, if you think about that, you fast forward 10 years later as you're closing out the FEMA process, a lot of the individuals that were involved have moved on or maybe they retired. And so maintaining the story and that documentation is absolutely critical. And, you know, there's statutory 
timelines once the last large project is submitted. You know, you're subject to a three-year OIG audit window and can't tell you how many times the OIG has just done a random sample audit. And or one of the greatest findings was that the documentation wasn't maintained over the required period because who in their right mind would think you would have to wait 13 years post-loss to you know, maintain the organized documentation that goes into a FEMA claim. And then the other pitfall would like to mention is procurement. You know, when you go through an insurance claim, procurement is of little concern to the insurance adjuster. They're going to do their own cost reasonableness analysis. But for federal, you know, or when it comes to FEMA, federal purchasing has to be followed. And while there are emergency and exigent exceptions to those federal guidelines, you know, your procurement department has to be involved when FEMA's in town just so you can button down the strict procurement rules that that FEMA adheres to. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeb. Uh, And I think one of the things to bear in mind when you're looking at an overall process is going back to the strategy from the beginning, the strategy to maximize you know, all of your potential recovery options. And it's a story that I like that you mentioned you need to keep the story alive. It needs to be kept within that story within your agency or entity because the decision makers, when they ought to go forward with a FEMA claim, as you said, can change over time. So trying to keep that overall strategy and the goal to full maximize recovery is frequently something that I have to remind people that, you know, this decision was made years ago, but it's still an advantage to our operations to continue to pursue this and just keep reminding them what the overall strategy is to maximize recovery. I would just add, from our perspective as as brokers and advisors, probably the most common pitfall when submitting a project to FEMA or managing a FEMA claim over a period of time is is trying to do it on your own. As Edie mentioned, you may have the opportunity to work on one FEMA claim in your career as an administrator or a risk manager or CFO within an institution or a local government. And unfortunately, that's just not enough practice. You really should try to engage outside parties who who do this all day, every day, and, and really specialize and understand all the various nuances associated with the rules and guidelines, short-term and long-term, as Jeb mentions. Is there an easy way to navigate the grant administrative process with FEMA? Unfortunately, there there's never an easy button when it comes to FEMA. Like you've heard from this small group, FEMA claims are just consuming. But like we talked about before, you know, FEMA realizes that they're a burden and And that's why they allow public entities to be reimbursed for grant management costs, whether that's an internal or outsourced to consultants. And so similar to, you know, Joe's recommendation, we strongly encourage public entities to hire consultants to help them through the FEMA process. And it truly is a team effort, you know, and it it, even if you hire consultants that are familiar with the inner workings of FEMA and the real-time policy changes, you're still going to need a large, dedicated, internal team to to assist in supporting 
the overall FEMA claim. And all of those costs are eligible for reimbursement up to kind of that 5% that we talked about before the net obligated projects, meaning let's say you work through the FEMA process and you've got a total of $5 million of net obligated funding. FEMA will reimburse you management costs up to $250,000 to manage that $5 million worth of grants. And that calculation is just a simple 5% times the $5 million. And, you know, it's a good way to be reimbursed for the internal workforce burden, whether it's placed on the public entity themselves or if the public entity were to you know, on board an outside consultant to help them through that process. Thank you, Jeb. I'd like to add to that too and, and reiterate something that Joe mentioned. You know, unless you're working in these processes basically every day and you are continually engaged at an expert level, having the consultants, having the brokers provide guidance and insight to those processes and support is incredibly valuable. And I think overall, when they are assisting the risk management department or the risk management function at the public agency to recover and strategize and maximize that public assistance recovery, overall, it, it tells a very good story and definitely helps, in my opinion, to achieve that strategic goal. And again, if you are not an expert in those areas and you don't engage in public assistance recovery on a day-to-day basis, having that expertise available is very valuable. What role does the insurance broker carrier play during this process? How can the expertise be best utilized? Well, there's no question that uh, following a, a natural disaster where there's catastrophic damage, there are multiple buckets of recovery available. It may be insurance proceeds. It may be proceeds from the National Flood Insurance Program. But certainly, as a local government tax-supported entity, FEMA recovery is a big part of making the entity whole, which is really, I think, a broker or an insurance advisor's role is to, within some reasonable period of time following the event, ensuring that from a financial perspective anyway, economic loss perspective, the entity has been able to recover the majority of its insured and uninsured loss. And so, as we've alluded to throughout the conversation, this is not something that someone can learn on the fly. It really requires the involvement of a team that is highly experienced uh, and proficient in pursuing recovery from these various areas and coordinating throughout the process with each of these entities, whether it be FEMA or NFIP or an insurance carrier or, as is the case for many local governments and educational institutions now, uh, having to deal with multiple insurance carriers on a a layered or syndicated program. Uh, That means there's multiple claims departments at play and adjusters involved. And so I think it's been made apparent there are multiple folks involved and and avenues that need to be pursued and managed. And that is really the broker's role is to try to coordinate all these parties and all the open items. And this may go on for 
a year or two years or more. Uh, and then, of course, as Jeb mentions, this could be subject to an audit process many years later. So, again, the local government or educational institution, the, the PRIMA member who's, who's suffering through such an event, really needs to lean heavily on its broker or insurance advisor to help navigate through this difficult time. Certainly, there's a role to play for the in-house administration of a public entity, but there's a very big role for outside advisors, such as the broker, to play as well. And Edie, I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but uh, you might share kind of what you've experienced. Well, we actually have appreciated and benefited from the expertise brought in from our FEMA consultants. In regards to, you know, brokers' roles specifically for my agency or entity, that doesn't necessarily come directly into play the way that we're structured. Having said that, you know, there's probably elements within perhaps, you know, a captive insurer or excess insurer layer that the broker does come into play on that. And I can say from prior experience, most definitely navigating the different avenues, the different adjusters, correlating and coordinating the various policy terminology and exclusions and sublimits and maximizing that strategically and coordinating it with the FEMA requirements can be very beneficial. So I agree that there's a key role there to play to support the agency's recovery. I can concur there as well. You know, when you you talk about all the different parties involved in these claims, it's amazing just how different interpretations of insurance coverage can be pulled from in the from a, you know the same exact policy language. And so, having that broker to help explain to FEMA or even the adjuster what the intent or what the meaning of some of that coverage was intended to cover or meant for, you know, can go a long way in resolving some of those insurance disputes. Because if you think about it from FEMA's perspective, they're always going to anticipate maybe more coverage from the insurance policy than is actually there. And we've seen, you know, several examples where the insurance adjuster takes a very liberal approach when it comes to coverage because they know FEMA's in town and FEMA's there to pick up the uninsured losses. And so having a broker there to sort of referee and weigh in on what the coverage interpretation should be really just helps put everybody, you know, on the same page. And then, you know, the broker brokerage role is critical on the back end, right? Because as a condition for receiving a FEMA grant, you know, you've got to obtain and maintain insurance requirements for permanent work going forward. And so, you know, if you've got a sophisticated insurance risk portfolio, you know, maybe it's easy to satisfy the FEMA obtain and maintain. But if you're a smaller public entity that suffered a significant loss where there's large federal dollars invested from FEMA, FEMA, you know, considers that your first bite out of the apple and expects you to carry insurance at that specific facility going forward for whatever peril that caused the damage. And so, you know, relying on a broker 
that understands the marketplace to either help you place that coverage or, you know, pursue what's called a insurance certification from the state insurance commissioner so that, you know, you can demonstrate to FEMA that the level of coverage that they're requiring is not affordable or even available in some cases. I know Joe's team has helped us there on flood losses where, you know, FEMA expected a small public entity to carry $30 million of commercial flood coverage in a special flood hazard area. And that coverage just wasn't available in the marketplace. And so having a broker help sort of navigate that process and provide that independent assessment basically allowed this public entity to not only rely on FEMA to get through the last disaster event, but now with this state insurance certification, they can go back to FEMA in a future event if there's substantial uninsured losses. And they you know, wouldn't have been able to consider that without the, the good help from a broker. Yeah, thank you, Jeb. I wanted to tag on to that as well, that when I'm considering both the roles of the FEMA consultant and the broker, what comes to mind for me is really claims advocacy from beginning to end. And that is, for me, highly valuable in that I have individuals who are experts in their field who are advocating for our claims, regardless of whether they're on an insurance side or on a public assistance side. And looking at the entire scope and picture of those different avenues and how they they play together and how to maneuver and navigate those and maximize the recovery. For me, that's really key, is getting that claims advocacy in there. Great point, Sadie. Agree. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.